point, I would uh, invite you and ask you to open your Bible and uh, open to that portion of Scripture that we read a moment ago, John chapter 4. Verse 43, Jesus heals the official's son. Jesus heals the official's son. (coughs) So folks, uh, a new church has opened up recently, a new church. It's opened up on St. Paul's Road in Islington, North London. So not a million miles away from where we are just now. Now, this new church, it resembles in many ways what goes on in this building uh, Sunday by Sunday. Because at this new church, uh, there's a sermon of sorts. There is a singing plenty of singings, and there is a reading, and, and the congregation, it meets in a building kind of like this, a very elaborate building. But there is um, one fundamental difference between our church and this new church in Islington, and that is that this new church is London's first atheist worship service. A new church, an atheist church. It is a church that kind of openly denies the existence of God. And hopefully, hopefully, many of us would agree that when you try and take God out of the church, that you rob that church of any real significance and you rob it of power. That when a congregation is not focused on Jesus Christ, that it has lost sight of what's important. It's lost sight of what's important. And this morning, as we gather like this, LCPC, let's ask whether the same could be said of us. You know, in this church, and in our congregation, and even in our own spiritual lives, have we lost sight of what is important? Have we lost sight of Jesus Christ? Okay, so let's look at the sign that we've got here. A sign that deals with the true essence of faith. Remember that. This is a sign that deals with the true essence of faith. And let's get into it, and let's look at our first point this morning. Our first point, and that is that we see here a superficial attitude toward Jesus. Okay? We see here a superficial attitude towards Jesus. Now, I thought that the Bible was God's inerrant word. I thought 
that this book that we've been studying, this book that we've got here, I thought it was a book without error. So, what is this apparent contradiction that we've got here at the beginning of the section? Did you see it? Did you see it when we read through it? There's something here that looks like a contradiction because verse 44, what does it say? It says, a prophet has no honor in his own country. But then immediately, the very next verse, we're told that Jesus went to his own country, didn't he? He went to Galilee, and what happened? The Galileans welcomed him. A prophet has no honor in his own town, but yet Jesus, he goes to his own country, and he is welcome. So what is going on there? Is that not a contradiction? Well, no, it's not. Of course it's not. Because look at the remainder of verse 45. It becomes clear there. Because it says that when Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. So, the Galileans welcome him because of what they'd seen him do in Jerusalem. So what we've got then is this picture of a people superficially welcoming Jesus, don't we? They're not greeting him, these Galileans, they're not greeting Jesus because of who he is, you know? They don't welcome him because here is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Not a bit of it. They welcome him because in their minds, here's a guy who does some cool stuff. You know, here's a guy who does some spectacular things or who did some spectacular things in Jerusalem. And then the focus kind of narrows down a wee bit, doesn't it? We've been looking at the whole Galileans, but then it narrows down to an actual example of this Galilean attitude. In this guy that we're introduced to, this man, this royal official. So what's, what is his story? What's wrong with this royal official's attitude? Well, initially, and I must stress that, initially, this royal official, he doesn't come to Jesus out of faith, does he? He doesn't come to Jesus because he is burdened with his sin. He doesn't come to Jesus because he wants washed clean. Nothing like that, no. Just like the Galileans, he comes to Jesus because he hopes that Jesus is going to perform a wonder, a miracle, and a sign. Now, we should, of course, say that his situation is different. You know, his situation is much more critical, isn't it? You know, these Galileans, they just wanted a kind of advert break in their lives, didn't they? They just wanted sort of three or four minutes entertainment. But not the royal official. 
You know, his kid is dying. His situation is severe, but still, he only comes to Jesus as a kind of last resort, doesn't he? He only comes to Jesus because he wants something from Jesus. He wants something from Jesus. And we see the confirmation that that is the case. The confirmation that his attitude is wrong. The confirmation that the Galileans' attitude is wrong in just how Jesus speaks to them. Do you see that? In verse 48, Jesus speaks to the nobleman. He speaks to the Galileans. And he says, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. So it's a superficial attitude that they have to Jesus. So, at that, let's ask ourselves another question. Could that be said of us this morning? Could you, friend, could you be accused of having a superficial attitude to Jesus Christ, could you? You know, are we perhaps like these uh, Galileans here? Are we people to, who, to some extent, welcome Jesus, but who do so kind of superficially? You know, are we people who are reasonably happy to come to church? You know, are we reasonably happy to enjoy the social side of the congregation? Are we even people who might enjoy hearing about Jesus now and again? But is there still that kind of lingering superficiality? Are we still somehow resisting Jesus? Or are we people who have given whole lives, every area of our lives over to him are we like the galileans or come on are we perhaps like this royal official here are we happy to come to jesus to approach jesus but only when we want something now christians here that is a real danger for us You know, we can just fall back into that position where we treat Jesus as some sort of supernatural concierge, okay? That we treat Jesus as a kind of divine caretaker, where we only get in touch with him when something in our lives needs fixing. Is that us? Are we like the royal official here? Well, friends, we must seek to have more than that. We must seek to have a meaningful, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. See, there is a superficial attitude in this sign. Let's let that not be the case with us. A superficial attitude 
superficial attitude. Now, have you had your finger on the pulse uh, this past week? Well, if you have, then there's no doubt about it that uh, one story will have uh, not escaped your attention, and that will be the discovery of Richard III's body in a car park. How strange is this? The discovery of his body in a car park, of all places, in Leicester, of all places. It is a a remarkable, remarkable story. And um, Channel 4 showed a program, you might have seen it, they showed a program at the beginning of the week that... uh, (coughs) documented or followed the whole story from that first dig in the car park right the way through to this rather weird uh, revelation of what Richard III's head and face would have looked like. And in that program, we saw the, the, the numerous tests that took place on the bones to prove that they were, they belonged to Richard III. And it was a whole plethora of tests, weren't they? Um, I can't remember them all, but there were certainly DNA testing and there was carbon dating testing and that sort of thing. And in many ways, that's how we should approach the signs in John's Gospel. Because these signs, they are like those tests. Each provides further proof of the identity of the person involved. You get it? So if we are DNA testing, we'll prove that these bones, they are Richard III. So the water into wine, it proved what? That Jesus was divine. That this clearing of the temple, that it proved that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. So, what about this one? What about this sign, the healing of the royal official son? What do we learn about Jesus here? Well, that takes us to our, our, our second point this morning, and that's the supreme authority of Jesus. The supreme authority of Jesus. And we see in the sign that Jesus Christ has authority over sickness and illness and disease. He has authority over sickness. Because what happens here? What is, what is, what happens through this sign? Well, Jesus heals this little boy, doesn't he? he? He works to eradicate the boy's illness. He restores this child to full health. And just look at how he does it as well. It is the most incredible thing, is it not? Such is his authority. Such is Jesus' power that he can simply just speak and the kid is healed. Jesus just opens his mouth and he says a word and about 20 miles away 
in Capernaum. This little boy, he stirs and he moves. And the color returns to his face, you know. And his strength returns. Jesus speaks and 20 miles away, the fever that's threatened this little boy's life, it lifts and he's healed. You see, friends, Jesus is supreme. He has authority over sickness and disease. And friends, you know, just now, as we meet, I really would urge you to let that truth settle with you. Okay? Right now, let that truth permeate your very soul. The truth that Jesus has authority over illness. Let that permeate your being. Why? Because this is going to be relevant to your life, isn't it? It is going to be relevant because we are all going to face this at some state of our existence. There's not a family that I know that is not being affected by that cold, cold hand of sickness and disease. It affects everyone. It is going to affect us. You know, it affects the rich. You know, this is the family of a royal official. And it affects the young. This is a little child here. Sickness and illness will touch all of our lives. So friends, cling to this truth. Jesus has authority over it. So when sickness comes, friends, when that really dark time descends, then we have to look to the light of Jesus Christ, don't we? We have to look to the only one who can give true hope through illness. We have to look to the one who has suffered much more than we can suffer, the one who truly empathizes with us through disease. We must look to the one who has authority over sickness and illness. And I think if we're alert, okay, I think if we are uh, on the ball this morning, I think we can get a, a glimpse, maybe a peek at the beginnings of change for this royal official here. The beginnings of change because this superficial attitude that he had at the beginning, it does seem to go, doesn't it? That superficiality towards Jesus, it kind of dissolves away and it is replaced with something. It's replaced with a recognition of Jesus' identity. It's replaced with a recognition of Jesus' authority. Because... Who is this guy? Remember who he is. He is a royal official. Okay? He is a royal official. Now, he is someone who, 
most likely served in the court of Herod Antipas. We've all heard of Herod Antipas, I'm sure. He was a governor or tetrarch who ruled from about 4 BC to 39 AD. So this royal official, he is not an ordinary man. He's a man of influence. He's a man of some standing. He is an important man, this royal official. And who is he speaking to in this sign? Who is this royal official speaking to here? He's speaking to a mere carpenter, isn't he? A royal official speaking to a joiner. And yet, when this royal official, with all his authority, when he tells Jesus to come with him to Capernaum, Jesus still has the authority not to do that. And then... The penny kind of drops for this royal official, doesn't it? He begins to see that Jesus is different. He begins to see that when Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority. So how does this royal official speak to the carpenter? How does he address Jesus? Verse 49. Sir. Sir. Come down, sir. He begins to see who Jesus is. He begins to see his authority. And friends, this morning, perhaps that is exactly where you are. Perhaps in amongst all the nonsense and rubbish and the trials of your life, perhaps even in amongst illness. Perhaps Jesus is stirring your soul today. And perhaps for the first time this morning, you are beginning to see who he is. You're beginning to recognize his identity and his authority. Well, friend, if that is the case, then rest in him. Because Jesus is the only one who can give you release from desperation, the only one who can release you from the agonies of this world. He has supreme authority, supreme authority. So friends, you'll you'll see the pattern, I'm sure by now we've seen a superficial attitude. We've seen supreme authority. Now, we close looking at a third thing, and that is a submissive acceptance of Jesus. There is here, in this sign, a submissive acceptance of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to do this, okay? I'm tempted, not going to do this. But what would you do? If I asked you to come up the front this morning and asked you to give your testimony, I won't do it, I promise. But what would you do? What would you say? What would that sound like if you were asked to tell of what Jesus has done for you 
in your life? What would you say? Well, I imagine that for many people here, there are similar stories, similar accounts. You know, years of uh, a familiarity with the church. Years of hearing the name of Jesus, followed by perhaps a, a more intense interest in spiritual things. And followed eventually by this realization. A realization of who Jesus is and the fact that he has called you to himself and that he has saved you. So a gradual realization of the truth. And I think, friends, we see something like that in John chapter 4. Because this royal official here, he gradually comes to a point in his life where Jesus has changed them. You know, there's a kind of progression and a movement here, you know. He started out, did he, with just coming to Jesus with need. Then he begins to recognize who this man is. And eventually, what happens? He trusts in Jesus Christ for his salvation. And just as we close, friends, this morning, let's notice the key phrase of this whole sign. Because there's just a couple of words here in this account that mean so much. It is the crux, the key to the whole thing. Because Jesus says in verse 50, he says to the man, you may go, your son will live. And then what happened? The crux of the whole thing. The man took Jesus at his word. The man took Jesus at his word. Now remember what we said at the beginning. This is a sign about the true essence of faith. And there we have before us a definition of true faith. That we must take Jesus at his word. Now have you done, do you do that? Do you take Jesus at his word? You know, when Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, do you take him at his word? It is so simple. You see, we're hopeless people. We clutter up Christianity, don't we? We take this beautiful faith and we fill it with rubbish. We fill it with guff. You know, we just pour in our attitudes and our opinions and new rules and regulations. But the gospel, it is simple. The message we have to take to the world outside is a very, very Simple message. Do you take Jesus at his word? And we see in the sign that if we do that, then the most incredible change and transformation occurs. Because look at this guy here. Look at this royal official. Look what happens in this man's life. You know, he goes from this point of despair with this with his dying child, he goes from that to rejoicing 
with his whole family, doesn't he? He goes from agony to resting securely in the arms of Jesus Christ. And get this, he goes from having a son who is ill to being a father who himself is healed from a greater illness, the greater illness of sin. And I just want us to end this morning with this very, very, very simple image, friends. An image. Because here, in this section, we've got an insight into something, don't we? We've got insight into the pain and anguish that a father feels as he watches his son near death. Yet such is God's love for you. Yet such is God's indescribable and unfathomable love for you that so you might be saved. He actually sent his son to die. What love that must be. What incredible, amazing love. Friends, let's ensure that no matter what happens, that we do not try and take Jesus Christ out of the church because this gospel message is all that matters here and friend if you have not done so before today okay if you've never done this why don't you this morning follow the example of this royal official why don't you do that just as our service here this morning as it closes and it finishes Why don't you bow your head? Why don't you bow your heart? And why don't you cry out to Jesus Christ? Cry out to him, Sir, come down. Come, Lord Jesus, and heal my soul. Why don't you do that? Let's pray.